It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. My name is Tom Scarda. I am excited to bring a very unique guest to you today, someone who has been in the franchise industry more than 40 years and is a mentor to a lot of people in the industry because of his just vast experience. So Jeff Johnson is the founder and CEO of the Franchise Research Institute. Before that, though, he was with Schlotsky's Delhi and was also an area developer, spent many years with them and got into this surveying company, started this surveying company to help franchisors and new franchise owners figure out the real deal on the franchise delivery, what, what the franchisor is giving to their franchisees. So, Jeff, I want to welcome you to the Franchise Academy. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. No, this, this is so cool. You got so much unique experience that most people that I talk to just don't have insight to. So how did this idea come about? Well, I was 29 years old and I had that itch to always be in business for myself. Um, it's one that I think many of your listeners can, can relate to. My, my goal was to build wealth through business ownership, having a, a, an ownership in a um, thriving business. And so that was my really goal. I was 29, uh, married with two kids, quit my job. I was the sales manager for a, a Fortune 500 company selling computer supplies and stuff. And I just had it with the corporate meetings, to be honest. And I had a little cash and I um, quit the job. I built three locations in four years. And so I had the downtown university location, one in the suburbs and a freestanding drive-through building. So a little bit of all of that and very typical entrepreneurial um, mindset. I took an old step van and tore out the insides and put a grill in there so I could be in front of the home football games, making hot sandwiches and go to the state fair and all that stuff. So I was really, I was there. We had a test kitchen. So new products. We were the first to raise my hand and, and try the new bread recipes or the new whatever, because I really wanted to be on the forefront of that. And uh, I loved it. Um, I, I w was the second ever to buy an area developer contract with Schlotsky's. And so I had four states in the upper Midwest and would find new franchise candidates and uh, explain the whole process, which I knew well, because I'd been a franchisee help them look for locations, help them get financing once they signed all the contracts, then um, help with the build out, help with the architects, the contractors, the bank, just kind of facilitate all of that. And then did the ongoing, you know, help them get open and then did the ongoing support. And uh, Schlotsky's grew from 200 locations when I first started with them to over 750. They went public in December of 1995 on NASDAQ. We all bought stock. Um, and then they went bankrupt in August of 2004. And so the first question I always get is, what happened? Um, and I'm sure there's lots of opinions, but in my, Schlosky's forgot what it is that got them there. You know, we, we're in the sandwich business. We're in the lunch business. And we were able to retrofit old McDonald's or an old Mexican restaurant or in cabin drive through And we were really, and it just got, 
you know, bigger and bigger and more requirements. And as you hear from franchisees often, um, the fees continued to go up. And once it was public, then there was really a focus on meeting the quarterly profit objectives of the of the stock market. And uh, they forgot about franchisees, forgot about success in franchisees. Lo locations started to close and eventually bankrupt the company. Now, franchisees can survive bankruptcy, Tom, but area developers do not. Those contracts are all torn up. So after 17 years, um, it was over and I was, I was done. The, um, you know, what did I learn from that whole process? You know, there were a couple of things. What, uh, that really there was no mechanism for franchisees to share open, honest feedback with the franchisor executives. So the, the things that we franchisees were saying in the hallways during the breaks and in the elevators and certainly in the bar at the end of the day was not the same thing as franchisees were saying in meetings because if you say too much, it's easy to get on the wrong side of marketing or operations or whatever it is. And then fear of retribution is a real threat. And so franchise executives are oftentimes having the chronic complainers in one ear. And Tom, like you and I both know there are chronic complainers in every organization, whether it's a, a football team or a military group or whatever. There's always somebody you just could never make happy. So those folks are whispering in one ear and you have false phrase in the other where you know somebody always wants to be the teacher's pet. And so they're telling you how great everything was or whatever. And you don't know. You don't. So franchise executives are the the fallback is to just use your gut. And as franchises grow, your gut may be accurate, but you know, have the, the magic to franchising is that relationship between the franchisor and the franchisee. The franchisor can do all of the big things with a PR firm and certainly, certainly now with social media. I mean, there's a lot of technology franchisees. They don't have time or they don't have, the, you know, so you can get into test kitchens with top um, chefs. And so you have all of those opportunities, but at the same time, Franchisees are the folks that are, you know, bleeding on the floor every day. And, you know, when Sally doesn't show up and it's lunch rush on Friday, you got to figure it out. Maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe it's your wife. You I mean, you don't know, but you find a way to win because you've got real skin in the game. And so I believe the magic in fran the franchise business model is really that, you know, the best of both. And uh, top franchisors recognize that there, there really was not a mechanism to measure how well you franchise. And so that's what we provided top franchise organizations with, you know, the Arby's of the world, the folks that really, really want to know. Um, they don't want to just hear the spin. So I'll stop there. Or I'll just keep going, Tom. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and you can, and I, and I want you to, but, but there's certain things like as I'm listening to you. Um, so this is, you produce like a report for the franchisor. Yes. Uh, and, and you ask a specific specific questions to franchisees. Yes. Tell, tell me if I have this right. So as a franchisee, I could report on my franchisor by saying, I really hate the way they do this. I really love the way they do this. And it's totally anonymous. So I don't have to worry about retribution. Is that correct? Right. There's no risk for saying anything, but there's also no reward. So you're not going to you know, I'm Tommy Smith, and I want you to know all these great things I have to say about you, whether I believe them or not. That doesn't help you grow as an organization. And so 
it has to be confidential. I hired a PhD, you know, an expert. I felt like after 17 years with Schlotsky's, I knew a lot about franchising. I've been in the weeds a long time, um, but I wasn't a research professional. And so, and I didn't want to have just another Yelp survey where, you know, we talked to 10 franchisees and this is what you, we, our threshold is a 70% participation, whether you have 20 or 2000, we want to have 70% New folks, long, you know, long-term franchisees, big cities, small towns. So multi-unit franchisees, sometimes folks have a hundred locations or more. So we wanted a piece of all of that that we could quantify. We asked the same questions year over year so we can track progress in the franchise effort. Like you said, operations, training, marketing, um, supply chain, all of those key pieces. So we can mark year over year. And then we can also provide, you know, kind of a document of the, this is what the best of the best, you know, the, the really the brands that are world-class at franchising, here's what their scores look like. So if you think, well, I'm never going to get that, folks do regularly. And so our clients are everything from food to senior care. It doesn't really matter if you're in franchising, we want to talk about how well you franchise. And so that's the, um, that's the business that we're in. And uh, it's been extremely well received. Um, not everybody wants to hear the real honest truth. And I would say it's like a complete physical. If you're, if you're not going to change your diet, you're not going to stop drinking. You're not going you know, to start working out. Then why go get a physical? I mean, there's no point to really go sit there and have the doc- doctor tell you about your cholesterol and your weight and everything. You're not going to change. You might as well just not do it. That, that is a great analogy. I love, I love that. <laughs> But but at the same time, you have other people's, you know, life savings in your hands as a franchisor. And oh. So there should be some kind of fiduciary kind of responsibility that you're helping these people grow the right way. And I, and I yeah. think one of the big misnomers, and, and correctly, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, there's really no, in my opinion, no rules, regulations that say who could franchise. Like anything out there could franchise, you just got to get your FDD, you hire a lawyer, they get this yeah. FDD through. Right. Yeah. And, and now you're franchising. And as someone who has never been in franchising and you're going to buy your first franchise, you, you know, how do you know that you're dealing with a good franchise? There are all kinds. What you just said is what makes you in that, that top tier of franchise consultants, because I believe that there's a fiduciary responsibility to do what you said you were going to do with franchisees, but not everybody does. And Tom, um, everybody has a pitch from my two cents. This is just me, my opinion, but the, um, the lists that franchise organizations get on best of top and all this kind of stuff, by and large, they're all pay to play. And, but that's not true. That's not only franchising. I mean, everywhere, you know, that, that all businesses have that kind of a thing. So I would pay little attention to whether you're in the entrepreneur 500 or not. There's probably a lot of you. Again, you correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, but aren't there 4,000 franchise opportunities in, in America today in the U.S.? There are. I mean, 4,000. So, um, you know, buyer beware, you know, get the facts. But despite all that, we're going to talk about, I hope we'll get to, you know, getting a good franchise attorney involved in the process. Don't just get the the business attorney that you've used to do whatever. Um, Franchising is so unique. The comment I I oftentimes say that franchising is like sex. 
And the reason I say that, it is so unique. I mean, franchising is not just another business deal. And so um, franchising is a unicorn and you really need to understand what it is. Um, franchising has been described as a commercial marriage. And I really like that definition because certainly it's business, it's commercial. And it is like a marriage. I mean, you are making a commitment for a long period of time. And what, again, what's unique about franchising is it's harder to get divorced than it is to really get rid of your partner. And I've been divorced twice. So I know, I know how hard it is to uncouple from a franchise once you're fully invested. You built the building, you signed the lease, you got the SBA loan. I mean, when you've got all of those things in place, you can't just, well, I'm going to go across the street and find another job. It, it is really difficult. So this is a, an incredibly different, you know, difficult decision. It is for most folks the biggest financial commitment they'll ever make, more so than their house. They're probably taking money from all of their savings, maybe some of their retirement funds. They may have mom and dad or a brother invested. Uh, they may have used the kids' college education to invest in the franchise. So most folks I know that get into a franchise are fully, they are all in. And that's when we offer an opportunity for you to really tell your, you know, your opinions, your feelings about the franchise opportunity and the business that you're in. Franchisees are delighted to have the opportunity to really tell the truth. Right. It's it's so great. I mean, we there's so many things you said that that, that have my head spinning in, in a good way. <laughs> a really good um so you have the, so I call the the franchise disclosure document is supposed to just for the listeners that have never heard of it, franchise disclosure document is supposed to make the company transparent, right? You'll know if there's litigation against the company, you'll know if there's bankruptcy, you'll know if there's failures in the business. I mean, it's it's all laid out. I call it the prenup agreement to go back to you, your being, you know, in a marriage. It's that's your prenup. You're gonna know exactly what's going on with this. And like I always say, you're not marrying just the franchise, you're marrying the whole family. So you want to do what we call validation calls and you want to call the franchise owners as many as you can. And it, and it's interesting because you ask very specific questions of these franchisees in the field um, to make these anonymous you know, reports. What kind of questions do you think are important? Like if there was, if you can only ask three questions in an elevator, like, let's say, what, what three questions do you think are most important when you're talking to an existing owner of a concept you want to buy? The um, first three questions that we've been asking for 20 years, the first one is, how would you rate the overall quality of the franchisor? Which is, I envision just being at my son's soccer game, standing on the sidelines, and somebody comes up and says, I understand you're a Schlonsky's franchising. Is that a good deal? You know, are they good folks? You know, so that's kind of what that overall question was was asked. The next one is, if knowing what you know now, would you invest in this franchise again? And number three is, would you recommend this franchise to a qualified individual? So those are the first three. But we then we break into training questions. And, you know, oftentimes we'll get into site selection, real estate, legal, you know, where are all the pieces of the puzzle that you're trying to find out? And we do both quantitative. So questions that we can put numbers to, you know, 42% said yes, or whatever the number, but also the qualitative questions, which really is where the gold is. So would you recommend the franchise? No. Why? 
you know, it gets back to that old, sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. And so you ask lots of open-ended questions to kind of start the conversation. So if you wouldn't recommend it, why? So a series of quantitative and qualitative questions. And I can send you time, send you a copy of the questions that we've been asking. If some of your listeners, if somebody wants to reach out to you and say, send me that, I'll send you for free just a list of the questions that we've had forever. And interestingly, as time went on, we would take the results and we would plot them on a graph. And then as, as we put all of those, you know, it, it became obvious, it was a bell curve, which was really interesting to me where, you know, the majority of the franchises opportunities are somewhere in the middle, kind of like, yeah, it's really good, yeah. But there is, you know, the good, the bad, and the really bad. So there is a group at the bottom and you've been to all those franchise expos that I've been to. So whether it's in New York or LA or Dallas, um, you come upon one of the booths there and it's du double booth and the lights and like, you know, they got all the stuff going on. The pretty girls are out front dragging guys in and the sales guy and the brochures and they got all that. And then I'll invariably ask, how many franchisees do you have today? Oh, well, we don't have any yet. Well, where can I go and eat that pizza that you're serving? It's like, well, we don't have any locations yet. And that's not that unusual, Tom. You and I both, I mean, that happens all the time. So how do you go through those 4,000 and find those real gems? And it has to have two things. It has to be a just a good business opportunity for anybody. And then I've seen on your website where you talk about, are you, you know, are you suited to be a franchisee? You, you have the temperament. So then it comes back, would you be a good franchise opportunity for anybody? And would you be good for me? Because when I was looking at Schlotsky's, I, I did the phone calls and I even had franchise, existing franchisees give me their um, tax statements. I had one franchisee give me you know, a couple of years of tax statements. So franchisees are very open. They want to help in large part. You know, they, wanna, they don't want you building a location next door. They don't want you as a competitor. But as the brand grows, the value of their franchise grows. And... Um, you know, you talk about the flywheel effect when the when it when everything is just working like it should, and you really don't have to go out and sell the franchise because people are talking. You know, there's the buzz out there. I want my best friend to own this franchise in Indianapolis. I want, I mean, I I want to help build the system, and that's what. But to try and to get there is really challenging. So um, I believe that the the best advice you can get is from existing franchisees. I mean, they can tell you what it's like today, what was promised, what they've not delivered on. You know, do you believe? Do you not believe? Do you believe the franchise leadership has a clear vision of where to take the franchise? I mean, there's some questions that are just phenomenal. What if half of them, what if half the franchisees come back and say, no, I wouldn't do it again. Man, I wouldn't do this again. I certainly wouldn't recommend it. And there's some really good people here, but by and large, they're not. Um that information can be so valuable. I, I drove around to find franchisees because I wasn't sure they were going to tell me what I really wanted to know. And so I'd, I'd go have lunch and I'd call and make appointments and I, I would go. And one of the things I really wanted to know was, is there some special talent that these folks have that I just don't have? You know, it's just, I just, I'm not a very good baseball player. I'm just never going to be a very good baseball player. So, and if, if there is something that I just can't do or that I can see, and I never, I had never worked in a restaurant before, and I didn't have a clear desire to own a restaurant, I was looking for a business deal. Um, 
And the other comment, I know you're gonna ask this question, um, so I'll answer it before you get to it. Don't get emotionally invested before you get the fact. It's like seeing a pretty girl in the bar and trying to marry her. Just put the emotion out. This is a business deal. And how often do you hear from somebody that's just like, ah, I had their sandwich or they had their whatever, and it was just amazing, and I want to own one of those. Just because they're busy doesn't mean anybody's making any money. So right. you you if you're a, if you're going to do this as a business, um, you really need to do a, a detailed business plan. You need to have a best case and a worst case scenario and something in the middle because that's probably where you're going to land. <laughs> so you need a business plan, and then you need a a trusted business advisor that will challenge you. That will well, what about this? You know, what about well, if you can't find a location for eight thousand dollars a month, you might just really challenge you. You need somebody that's good and you need somebody that you trust, but somebody has to go in there and be the devil's advocate and really poke around your business plan. Um, no question. So don't be, don't get emotionally involved, but invested, but it happens all the time. It, it, this is what happens all the time. It, it was, um, I mean, a, a, a quick story is, you know, I owned Maui Waui smoothies. I sold yeah. in 2005. I don't know, about five years later, someone opened up a Maui Waui store in my neighborhood where I lived on Long Island. I went in, my wife and I, we had smoothies because they're great smoothies. Um, and I was talking to the owner, didn't say who I was. I said, why'd you buy the business? And she said, we love smoothies. We drink smoothies every day. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, wow, that's great. Good luck. We walk outside. I turn to my wife. I'm like, they're going to be out of business within a year. And she's like, why? I'm like, because they're not, they're, they bought the business for the wrong reasons. You, you know, on Saturday night, when you're missing your family wedding, because you got to serve smoothies, you're not going to like that business so much. You're not going to like smoothies anymore. And and so they were out of business. I believe it was seven months. They were gone. Closed their doors. And and, it, and it's, they didn't realize all those things about having to work at night, having to be open on the weekends, having all these employees that are unskilled. And it goes on and on and on. Yeah, it's so, uh, There's a lot to it. And I think one of the things some consultants talk about is, you know, spend a day at the franchise and find out what it's like and find out, you know, obviously that employee just pulled his uniform out from underneath the seat, you know, because so, it's just wrinkled as hell, or you can smell on their breath that they've been partying all night. Um, at Schlotsky's, we'd start baking, you know, at three in the morning. So, and then we'd close, we had beer licenses at all three locations. So we had an alcohol license and that's a whole nother series of, you know, charges and uh, challenges um but it, we weren't 24 hours a day but you'd get phone calls at all times of the day or night i hated driving by any of the locations on the way to church because invariably it would be really slow and you wondered what the hell was going on or it would be really busy and we'd feel like we got to stop by and help out so it was just you, you know there really is there there are opportunities for you to go coach your kids basketball team at three in the afternoon somewhere but you also never really quit. At one time, I had 70 employees at one time, and there was always something broken. You know, there is no way. There is, I always, one of my dreams was getting it right. Right people, right place all the time, you know, really fix it. That's a fallacy. It just doesn't exist. There is never that cool, calm water day after day. It's just always a challenge. And getting out of town is hard, too. It's like being a farmer, right? With, with cattle and I mean somebody has to take care of the livestock whether you're there or not it's got to happen right right and and it is 
all of that. And some people rise to the challenge. You know, for me, I mean, I, I was a government worker before I got into franchising. Oh, in wow. my franchise, uh, in, in both franchises, I never worked so hard in my life. Yeah. I mean, in a government job, you just have to show up and you get paid. So it's hard <laughs> to like really compare the two. But, um, you know, in the franchise, I worked my butt off. But I loved it because it was my baby. I, yeah. loved it. I wouldn't change it for a thing. Yeah. And, um, and so everything you're saying is correct. I would love definitely to get a copy of your questions because I have 39 questions I've been using for years. And I send it to my candidates to say, all right, now it's time to call franchise owners and get, get the real deal. You heard the puff, right? You heard the sales pitch. Now let's find out the reality of this business. And you're only going to get it from franchise owners. They have nothing to gain or nothing to lose by, by telling you the truth. Yeah. And, and so it, it's a great Friends, Just to challenge you just for a second, franchisors do um, test franchisees. They get folks to call and say their candidates, and then they give the reports back. And I've heard franchisor executives stand up in front and brag about that and brag about the fact. And, it, and then the last time that happened, I said, yeah, but I always believe in trust but verify, you know, like the old Reagan line. But we're family. You know, would you do that to your wife? Would you have somebody try to pick her up somewhere? And if she did, I mean, would, I mean, you just don't do that kind of thing. And you break, you fracture the relationship you have because you don't believe them. So franchisees, um, they're not supposed to steer candidates, but most do. And most do, well, you know, call these three people because they're in college towns and you're looking at a college town, but you, they know perfectly well that those are going to be positive validations. And what happens then oftentimes is if the candidate says, I'm just, I'm, I'm decided I'm not going to do it, then, well, who did you talk to? You know, did you call those franchisees? I said, so there is a risk sometimes. Um, franchisors will have, you know, call in at, three o'clock on Tuesday and I'll have a handful of franchisees there. You can ask them questions. We'll do kind of a round table kind of thing. Do you think those are the disgruntled, unhappy franchisees? So um, I believe that the franchise, just like if you were going to buy a new washing machine, you go look at reviews. Yeah, I mean, you do it with every hotel, you do it with everything, but to think that you're not going to want to talk to or hear what existing folks that own that washing machine have to think about it. So um, I'm very passionate about that. You can tell us this isn't a job for me, Tom, but it's what better way. The one thing we found when we, we plotted the quality of franchise opportunities, when we got to the very top, you know, the extraordinary, that top 10% of grant, they had a couple things in common. Um, they understood that they were really in two different unique businesses. So they're in the customer focused, um, you know, what a franchise, you know, what, what do the customers say about the, the offering? So it's um, a net promoter score, you know, it's all that kind of stuff. that's just been blown up about customer satisfaction. So they understand that they're in the um, senior care, home health care business, um, taco business, whatever it is, but they, they dialed in on that. But the other business they're in is franchising, which is a completely different business. And it takes a different skill set. But the, the cream of the crop always understood that they were in two different businesses and that they needed to 
always be recruiting new candidates for her being franchisees, but they're also collecting money from these folks. So there's an expectation both from the franchisee fee, the training and everything, but also the ongoing royalties. What do I get for my money? You know, so how do they keep that piece going? And those brands, the, the top brands always had a, a, a real dial in on those two unique businesses. Yeah, I agree. And, and it's gotten to the point where now a uh, franchise company will have two different websites, one wow. website and one just for franchise sales. Wow. And I highly recommend that because, you know, it's easy. You're looking at the business opportunity. I think it is fairly easy to identify whether they're really meeting the needs of the customer. I mean, do you like it? Are there people in there buying it? You know, is there is there some buzz about? And that's one thing I I loved about Schlotsky's because there was a it was a cult practically. I mean, there was such you're not going to go to Arby's and get a Schlotsky sandwich. I mean, it was in the food business it was really unique, and there were you know. So, I think as consumers we identify quality from a consumer standpoint it's really tricky though from the other standpoint you talked about the fdd i recommend that you read it front to back you know a potential candidate and if you're looking at a couple that's that's hard and it's complicated there are ways to cheat on fdds and you know that as well as i do tom so it's not always the gospel truth but it really lays out a lot of the key stuff secondarily get a quality franchise attorney um don't just use the guy that's helped you with leases or some other business lawyer that you just have in town because this it is so unique that you really need somebody to understand. And to to give to go back to that commercial marriage thing, um, imagine that you invested in a franchise with the founders of the business and you got to meet them and know them and you trusted them. You've been to their the corporate office and, you know, you've, you've been through that whole process and you really, you know, you loved working that everything that you thought it was going to be, it was. And so you're in this marriage and you really believe in it. And you wake up one morning and you look across the bed and there's somebody else laying there and you find out that the founders hooked up with a private equity firm, sold the company for a boatload of cash and they're gone. So now you're, um, senior partner because as a franchisee you're a you're a minority partner you really don't have much swing and so now um all of a sudden there's somebody else at the table and there's a reason venture capital is so excited about franchises is because you know it's because you can't just walk across the street i mean franchisees are locked in they got to do work with me i've got first right of refusal I've got non-compete clauses. I mean, I got all that stuff. So there are a lot of pluses to franchising, proven operating system, except the example I gave you where they don't have any locations. It may not be a proven system, but there's, there's a business there. And I knew my odds of inventing the next big deal I knew was just zero. I mean, that wasn't going to happen. But I thought I could, if it was really successful in some other places, I thought I could bring it to my hometown and make it work. And so franchising has some really upsides, but that don't believe that it's just, you know, you, I, you talked about in one of your other podcasts, Tom, that people want to know, what's the best franchise, Tom? I want the best franchise. Well, franchising is like shoes. I mean, there are men's shoes, and there's women's shoes, there's kids' shoes, there's running shoes and hiking shoes and dress shoes. So there's all, and they're all, all have somebody that's really good and somebody that's not very good in, in those little pieces. But what's best for you, maybe, 
completely different. And let's assume there's 4,000 franchise opportunities. The top 10% would still be 400 brands. Um, how do you vet 400 brands or even, even 10, really? I mean, right. it helps. It maybe gets back to how much can you afford? You know, can, is that a, a nut I can do? You know, just the money stuff. Is it available where I want it to be available? Um, I always look for franchise executive, <clears throat> excuse me, franchise executive. So the C-suite, do they understand the business we're in, restaurant business or whatever it is? Do they understand that business? And have they been in franchising? Do they understand what it's like to partner? Because when, you know, one of the complaints I hear a lot or the comments that I hear from franchisees is that they, they started treating us like employees. <laughs> I'm no employee. I got money. I'm an investor. You know, I'm a partner in this deal. And um, if you haven't really been in franchising and you view this as just another way to grow the business or another distributor opportunity, it isn't. It's so far from that. And in, unless you really, I want the folks in the C-suite to know the business and also understand franchising. Right. And that you're, you're like preaching to the choir. I mean, this is what I tell all my, all my uh, candidates. You're, you're so right. Just because you were the CEO of some big Fortune 500 company does not mean that you know how to franchise. It is way, way different. Um, and, 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 you know, back to the franchise expos, I always say to folks like, you know, like a franchise, I, I was born and raised in New York City. So the, the IFE there is, is the biggest one. And people would say, hey, I'm, I'm going to the franchise show at the Javits Center. I'm like, okay, that's great. But just be aware, there's only really two types of franchises there. Franchises that are brand new and they're dying to sell a franchise to somebody and franchises that are dinosaurs and they're dying to sell a franchise to someone. So, yeah. Yeah. so you got to be careful about who you're talking to. You got to have your questions ready to go and, and really understand, you know, you got to ask the questions. Don't let them just do the spiel. And, yes. And, you know, throw up on you and say, oh, this is this is the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. Because it may not, it may be, but may not be. And the other thing I want to comment on, uh, you know, to your point is that just because something looks great doesn't mean that it's the right business for you. Just right. because it's not one in your town doesn't mean that it's the right one for you to bring to your town. Like there's so many variables. If you are like an introvert, don't get involved with a business where you got to go out and knock on doors and talk to people. But yeah. there is a possibly a franchise for you in being an introvert. Yeah. Um, and that's where I help people. I think most is, is to try to say, calm down on, on the really hot, sexy girl in the room. Because a lot of times when you talk to that hot, sexy girl, they're crazy <laughs> and you wouldn't want to marry them. So, um, and I think it works for the hot, sexy guy in the room too. They're probably that's crazy. It. Yeah. That's right. It's even worse actually, but yes. <laughs> so that's great. So my, a question I have for you um, to kind of tie it all together is what, what's one myth that you would bust about franchising? You know, far too often I hear we were in New York city. I don't even remember the reason. Maybe it was to attend an IFE um, because we've been to quite a number of, in part because I love going to New York city and my wife's an interior designer in New York city. It's just wonderful. But um, that aside, the guy picks up, the Uber driver picks us up and he just goes off on, you know, when I get this much money, I'm going to give me a franchise. I'm going to give me a franchise. So that myth that the franchise is the panacea, you know, if I, if I could just get in, I could put the sign up and the money's going to start rolling in. And 
It's not. You know, it's like any business deal. Um, there are the good, the bad, the ugly. There are some that really work. There are some great success stories that are clients, but there are also folks, you know, franchises that are really in some dire trouble. And oftentimes there's a new CEO or a new boss or new venture capital, and they're going to say, we want to know what the hell's really going on. And I use, um, I like college football as an analogy, especially today when they can go anywhere and leave anywhere. you got to recruit the right folks. you got to have the game plan. you got to have the right coaches. you always got to be looking for a better player. You have to do all the things with the weight room, you know, all of the stuff, you know. You have to have an academic coordinator because the parents are going to want to know who's going to get my kid through college and who's going to drive. So you have to have all of those pieces. But at the end of the day, the player has to go lift the weights. And as the franchisee, regardless of all the stuff they have, it still requires you to go in and work it. It's like having the, the fancy gym membership and never going. I mean, you have to show up. You've got to be there every day. And you're the one that has to do the work and suffer the consequences. And so it. Franchising is not the all be all, you know, there are tremendous opportunities, but there's also a fair amount of risk. You know, the old be in business for yourself, but not by yourself. Well, that's kind of true, but there's a whole lot of stuff you can't do, even though you own the franchise. There's a whole list of, you know, things that you, you know, you can't just say, you know, I think we ought to serve popcorn. I really think that'd be, we got to get into the breakfast business. You know, you've, you've got to, you can't run a play that's not in the playbook. You know, and the coach is going to call the plays. And so you've got to got to be comfortable with them. But you also got to you have to believe that the coaches have your best interest. You know, that the franchise. One of the questions we ask is, do you believe the franchisor cares about franchisee success and profitability? Mm. What what happens when we get back survey where half of the franchisees don't believe you care? And then you need to break that news to the leadership team about, you know, that. They just don't trust you. Now, how do you regain that? That's going to, you know, that's a, that's a tough lift. That's not just hiring a new training, you know, VP. So um, I believe the franchisees are the key to making the investment decision. Getting that, you know, true responses is difficult. You know, it's challenging. They're really good, busy guys. They're always busy. You know, they're not returning calls. And they, they get called on a regular basis, especially if the franchisor is growing. And then um, oftentimes you just don't hear from the best franchisees because they just are too busy. Right. So well said. So great. This is, I mean, we could go on for hours here. This is yes. unbelievable. What a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking out the time to talk with the Franchise Academy here. I know the listeners are going to really eat this up. Um, if you send me those questions, I'll post it on the website for the, for the Franchise Academy podcast. So, and since we're always concerned about feedback, if you hear any positives or negatives from your listeners, I'd sure love to hear. Oh, for sure. At, at least the positives. I'd love to hear the positives. You can screen out the negatives, Tom, and you don't have to share those. <laughs> and what's the website in case anybody wants to check out the company itself? Well, it's franchiseresearchinstitute.com. And for short, you can just put in fransurvey.com and it'll be redirected. Fransurvey. Right. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon and we'll see you at a IFA meeting real soon. I hope so. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com.
Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.